Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. So you guys have probably heard sitting is the new smoking. The most important thing you can do for your office is actually to walk around in it. And one of the best ways to do that is to have a standing desk. I have a standing desk. It's a small one. Uh, It is called the Jesswick. I love it. I absolutely love it. It really kind of looks like a podium, um, but it's just a small standing desk. It's kind of big enough for my journal and a cup of coffee. Uh, I use it all the time. I love it. I got it from Fully. Fully is the premier maker of standing desks. And for four years in a row, the Wirecutter, the independent review site that I use for almost everything, has named Fully's Jarvis standing desk the best standing desk on the market. My husband has one. He's designing his whole office around it now. He's redoing his office. And that standing desk is the centerpiece of it. Because standing desks aren't really about standing. They are, like I said, about moving around. Fully standing desks and collection of active chairs give you the freedom to sit, stand, stretch, squat, perch, or lean yourself into a healthy, comfortable position, or many healthy, comfortable positions that work for your body's unique and changing needs. Just listen to your body. It wants to move around. It's chairs that make it sit. So don't use regular chairs. I mean, use a regular chair every once in a while if you want. But standing desks and active chairs, those are great. And fully is where to get them. Fully keeps your body moving so you can feel more alive and engaged in your work and in your life with the perfect mix of modern design and healthy movement. That iconic Jarvis standing desk, the Capisco chair and the Topo mat, those things all work great to just subtly keep you from being in stasis. Bridged sitting can contribute to negative health effects and Foley's desk and chairs relieve the static load on joints and ligaments while improving posture and circulation. So get your body moving. Go to fully.com slash friends. That's fully, F-U-L-L-Y dot com slash friends. Fully. Desks, chairs, and things to keep you moving. Hi, this is Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These, the show where we talk about the differences between us without letting them divide us. It is time for us to check in with Rick Wilson, the Rick Wilson, as he's known on Twitter and really by me as well. He is a former practitioner of the dark arts on the Republican side who has now moved over to the light. At the very least, he's a Ravenclaw or Hufflepuff member, if not full Gryffindor. This is one of the best conversations I've ever had with Rick. I think not just because we get kind of real about what the stakes are towards the end of the conversation, but because Rick is finally kind of ready to talk about what policy ideas and so-called conservative goals he is willing to give up in order to find some common ground with liberals and Democrats that we can move on from the Trump era uh, changing. What is going to exist for us if and when we get rid of El Cittolini, as I believe uh, Rick dubbed him some time ago? You know, right now, the never Trumpers and the liberals, you know, we have this temporary alliance. And I love talking to Rick about how awful Trump is. But is our relationship really going anywhere? I think the answer is a tentative yes. And at the end of the episode, I have a slightly personal message for folks who are the kind of people who listen all the way to the end of the episode. But until then, please do enjoy my conversation with Rick Wilson. Welcome back to the show, Rick. Thank you. 
Pleasure uh, to be here as always. So we are recording, full disclosure, we are recording on a Wednesday afternoon. So the, we've got a lot of week to go. But <laughs> so that anything and anything could happen. The North Korea summit could get canceled and back on again and back off again and back on again. That, that sure. could happen. Um, uh, some more indictments could happen. We know there's a lot. We won't go through the list of a lot because a lot has already happened. But you Yang, know, Yang could be reduced to a glowing radioactive crater. That also, <laughs> you know, we could be reduced some some West Coast city, perhaps uh, reduced to a crater. Um, but one of the things I've noticed in your commentary recently has been along the lines of something that a lot of, you know, people in the more uh, overtly progressive resistance have been saying, which is like, don't get distracted. Right. Right. Yeah, look, Donald Trump's weapon of mass distraction, his Twitter feed, um, you know, they, 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 they've realized that people will chase the rabbit if they put enough rabbits out there and look foolish. For instance, I didn't tweet or talk about or comment on the whole Melania not being around thing I, because, you know, I felt like it was, it was fool's gold. It was boob bait. Um, and so, you know, I, I try not to follow every little, little, you know, blip of the Trump seismograph because an awful lot of it is 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 meant to keep you away from thinking about the big issues that are around him and the and the and the crises that are surrounding him. And you know, we often see him try to distract from and the fact is Michael Cohen and Paul Manafort have got Donald Trump missing a lot of sleep right now. Mm. And he would much rather us focus on NFL football players, uh the Philadelphia Eagles and and a host of other of, of other things that are that are essentially nothing burgers in the course of of, of the big scope of what's going to happen in this in the next few few months and uh, and weeks. Now, do you think we should be focused on the Russia investigation? I mean, because I think it's interesting because I, I mean, I tend to agree with you, like focus, 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 and some of my some of the stuff that I feel like we should focus on is you know like children being separated from their parents, let's say. Puerto Rico, for example, also a bunch of people. Oh, sure. I mean, you know. look, there are very consequential issues. We, 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 and we can, you know, walk and chew gum. Also. Right. Um, but some of the small ball stuff where, you know, where they want you to chase, like I said, chase the, well, the NFL about. thing is very specifically like, I feel like that's one of the few things, you know, he doesn't play three dimensional chess, but this is definitely like a marbles game. The NFL thing, like, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. And look, he admitted it. You saw that in the. Yeah. It, he admitted it to Jerry Jones in the deposition on on Kaepernick, right? Where he just said flat out, "Yeah, I'm doing this because it's good for me." Yeah. You know, so the the culture war stuff they're throwing out there, um, and and the MSC 13 stuff they're throwing out there. That's all this sort of overarching Trumpian defense mechanism. Um, but you know, they would prefer us not to talk about. His rising tide of legal peril, um, or or the fact that 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 and while while some people posted the wrong photographs of the children in cages, mm-hmm. uh, there are still right now children in cages and being held after being separated from their parents in a in an unbelievably punitive and shitty thing um, for our country to have on its on its report card. Yeah. And I'll point out that there are plenty of liberals and progressives that were critical of the Obama administration's uh, treatment of immigrants. Like it's not yeah. this is not something that like progressive activists like didn't that oh you didn't criticize Obama. They plenty criticized Obama. Oh, they did. Yeah, absolutely. Over look, Obama had a very vigorous program running yep. at the border. Yep, he did. Um, Deported and, more and people was, than any other president you know, prior to him. I was just going to say it was a greater number than than George H.W. Bush uh, and George W. Bush. And Bill Clinton combined rolled yeah. up, so mm-hmm. it, it certainly wasn't. Um, it certainly wasn't something that that, that you know is a, is a brand new issue. Um, but you know, there's a sort of punitive glee about the Trump people with this, where there are you know you read that Sessions interview and he's almost giggling about it. Yeah. Um, and they're and they're they look at it in a way where they've reduced these people who are coming here, many of whom were coming here to seek asylum and, and, and status legally, who reported in and then had their kids taken away from them. Yeah. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. And it's, it's you know, if, if there's, a, if there's a, a, you know, a bad for the brand thing that's happening right now, it's that and the fact that Puerto Rico um, is barely, you know, considered recovered and we're just in the beginning of the next hurricane season. 
so I have a question that has to do with both of those things, I, I think, because I'll I'll be honest, which is, of course, one of the points of the show is to be honest. Uh, I sometimes worry when I speak to my, you know, never Trump compatriots, that if we talked about something besides the shit show, we might disagree and that would not be fun. You know, like someone, some policy details, I know you and I still disagree. Sure. And so there's some stuff I feel like, oh, I don't really want to talk to him about policy because we might disagree on stuff. But you have just pointed out a couple things where I think we do, we do agree. But that feels like yeah. maybe you've come a little bit, a little bit my way. I think. Well, look, I, I'm, I'm, I've never been one of these people on particularly in the immigration thing uh, that, that was a, a super punitive, you know, fuck you. Uh, you know, all you brown people are going home. I was, you know, look, do I think we should have border security for a host of reasons? Yes. Does that mean it's a 5,000 foot tall wall with laser turrets and alligators? No. Yeah. Um, do I think that the damage that's been done? I mean, look, you have to remember also George W. Bush understood that Hispanics were a rising demographic force in the country and went out of his way to ensure that we weren't putting ourselves in a position where we were, we were seen as punitive, hostile, and, and you know, for lack of a better word, dickish toward Hispanics. Specifically the Republican Party. Like, that was actually Karl Rove, one of Karl Rove's uh, goals. And and there was a broad consensus about that inside the Republican Party. Right. A broad, favorable consensus. And in the era of Trump, you know, we have now seen that that has gone to, not only to to the opposite extreme, but it's gone to the opposite extreme in a way that is, as I said, it's, it's gleefully punitive. It's gleefully nasty. Yeah. So then you mentioned Puerto Rico, and I think, again, we're sort of basically on the same page there. But that makes me wonder. So one long-term way to address the problems in Puerto Rico would, for instance, to be to give them statehood, right? Now, sure. Republicans have resisted that for the somewhat obvious reason that it would probably be a democratic you know, state. Are you somebody now that you see the problems in Puerto Rico? Would you say that, yes, that means we should get them statehood so we can start to have the kind of infrastructure and relationship that would give them the kind of um, safety net that Americans, which they are, deserve? Like, Well, you know, that, Puerto Rican statehood is a very fraught issue even for Puerto Ricans. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them that, I've, that I know and I've talked to over the years um, are very happy with the way the current situation works in terms of tax structures and business structures and whatnot. Um, and I don't think statehood alone would have solved the problem because Donald Trump, you could tell Donald Trump a thousand different ways that Puerto Ricans are Americans, but he thinks of them as Mexicans who happen to be on an island in the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> he does not think of them as American citizens. I call it sea Mexicans. Yeah. He, he does not think of them as American citizens. He believes that they are not Americans. When in fact, they are Americans. They have... They, 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 they are they are in U.S. territory, and 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 they have fought bravely in our wars for for uh, you know a hundred plus years, and, and and this is not a this is not some alien territory. These are Americans. Um, so, but I don't think statehood would have solved the the infrastructure problems. I don't think it would have solved the the necessarily solved the the logistical problems that occurred because look, a lot of American. Uh, members of both parties, um, members of the Senate and the House, and 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 you know, Rick Scott of Florida, you know, maybe maybe have a may have a number of, of issues that you may disagree with them on, but the guy hustled resources from Florida to Puerto Rico um, in a way that was in a way that was admirable because he recognized that there are now, you know, uh, uh, about four hundred fifty thousand Puerto Ricans living in the in the, in the state of Florida. Right. Uh, Marco Rubio, you know, they jokingly called the senator from Puerto Rico because he was there so much, and and you know was doing it because it was the right thing to do. Bob Menendez, who's maybe you know, maybe controversial as shit, but was putting in the work on Puerto Rico. So all these all these factors, you know, uh, of people trying to help the the territory, it came down to indifference from the White House and indifference from the president because they didn't consider them fully American. And it's, it's an outrage. Are you paying attention? 
not just to this podcast, but to everything. I, I read magazines. I read all kinds of magazines. I read The New Yorker. I read The Atlantic. Um, I, I read design magazines. I read cooking magazines. And I read all of those magazines on texture. What is texture? Texture is an app. It's the magazine app. And it has basically every magazine you could possibly want. Uh, more than 200 top magazines all in one place. And if you if you read on a tablet, it's it's better than a magazine because uh, it reproduces the same beautiful photos and interviews with some special features. And also you can have all those magazines in one place and you can do something that's hard to do in real life, which is you can remember, oh, that, that piece that everyone was talking about, you know, a month or two ago that I didn't get a chance to read. I'm going to sit down and read it now. And I don't have to dig through the stack of magazines, you know, in my office, I don't have to go through the recycling. I can just find it. And that's like what I did with, um, Franklin Four's piece on, uh, Paul Manafort that was in the Atlantic a, a couple months ago. He's been in the news again lately. And I remembered, I never finished reading that huge piece that Frank did. So I, I finally went back and read it and it's a great piece. You should read it. The Atlantic is on texture. If you are a listener to the show, you can get a free seven-day trial of Texture. Go to texture.com slash friends. Why wait to start reading the latest issue of your favorite magazine? Try Texture for free at texture.com slash friends. That's texture.com slash friends to start your free trial. Journalist Mehdi Hassan is known around the world for his televised takedowns of presidents and prime ministers. He hosts Upfront on Al Jazeera and is a columnist for The Intercept. And in his new podcast, Deconstructed, Mehdi unpacks a game-changing news event of the week while challenging the conventional wisdom in a tight 30-minute package, a little quicker than what we do here. He starts his show with his take on one topic and what the mainstream news is getting wrong or what context is being missed. And then he goes into a deep analysis and conversation with his guest or guests of the week. And get this, his guests have included Judd Apatow, Bernie Sanders, and Hassan Minhaj. So he kind of covers the gamut, I would say, in terms of who you might be expecting. Um, it's everyone from comedians to politicians to, for instance, Stefan Clark's fiance. So you're going to hear from a lot of different people. And the show has covered such topics as the violence in Gaza from the perspective of Israeli activists against the occupation and, of course, police shootings, as through the eyes of the fiancé of Stephon Clark. Also, he's talked about the dangers of John Bolton with former diplomats. As a Brit and a Muslim, an immigrant based in Donald Trump's Washington, D.C., Mehdi Hassan gives a refreshingly provocative perspective on the ups and downs of American and global politics. Deconstructed is a show that cuts through political drivel and media misinformation to give you a straight take on one big news story of the week. It is out every Friday, just like this pod. You can listen and subscribe at theintercept.com slash deconstructed or on any podcast platform. I think you're spot on in that Trump does not consider them Americans. He he does not cognitively understand. Like, I think he literally does not understand sometimes that they're Americans. He Correct. doesn't think of them as Americans. I'm not sure if you give him a quiz, he'll be able to answer the question about whether or not no. they were Americans. I do think that them having statehood would give them some of the tools to address the systemic problems that exist there. The reason I asked about it specifically in this conversation with you is that I have been thinking about, Rick, my my friend, my comrade, what are you willing to give up policy-wise to gain allies in battling Trump? Like, midterms are coming up. You want to know for real? You want my real answer? Yeah, what's your real answer? Health, healthcare. Hmm. <laughs> Sorry. You know why? Yeah. I think there's a broader common cause to be made on that than almost any other issue. This is this is a we we have proven neither extreme works on the healthcare de de debate, um, and and neither extreme has had has operated in good faith for several years now, and and this is something that directly changes Americans' lives for the worse. Every time we fuck it up more, it gets it, it has more and more devastating impacts, and and that is an area where I've just sort of you know brushed my hands and said okay. You know, if 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 the Republican version of healthcare means pharma, hospitals, and major insurers make a shit ton of money, um, and yet people are left, you know, holding the bag on a lot of these things, and if the Democratic version of it is that is that 
you know, pharma, health, health insurance companies and hospitals <laughs> make a ton of money, then and and still leave people hanging with the giant giant premiums and giant deductibles. You know, there's something missing in our policy and our ideological framework for how we're approaching this problem. Well, I was just going to point out that we've never had extremes on either side on this. Actually, we've only had a kind of crony capitalism yes. experience. We've yes. never and had a completely private system. Everybody's been like, "Oh, well, that's the reality. That's how it has to work." Well, it's not working. And also, we're one of the only industrialized countries that does it this way. <laughs> right, and so, and and, and so, I've, I've I've basically reached the point where I've called bullshit on my own team. Where you guys don't want a free market in healthcare. Yeah. You want to take care of the people who've written you the largest checks from their from 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 the largest lobbying groups. You want to take care of them. The other side is, you know, is in the same box. Um and 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 there's there are some things about the healthcare market that I've just reached my absolute, you know, end point on. Um uh, and there's another two areas that I'm I'm completely, you know, uh willing to 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 to, you know, get away from the 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 this rigid you know, Republican ideology on. And, you know, the first is, and we've talked about this a little bit, the first is gay marriage. Mm-hmm. If if you think that the state should decide who can and can't get married, you know, you're, you're, you're not really a, a limited government person. If you, if you think that the state should, should endorse uh, an outright, an outright prejudice against, you know, groups of people who want to get married, then, you know, you're trying to achieve, what you claim that only the Democrats and liberals want to achieve, which is social engineering through the use of government power. So there's an area that I'm just done with. I'm, I'm sort of broadly done with all the evangelicals and their bullshit because, you know, we've reached the point where we, we, we're really clear now what they believe in. Right. Let's be super we're specific, re- though. Let's, it's, it's white uh, uh, conservative evangelicals because there are plenty of yes, evangelicals yes. out there who are either black or progressive. Let me rephrase that. Yeah, and it's a phrase. It's a it's a group I call corporate evangelical. That is a great phrase. <laughs> yes, and 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 these are these are people who are uh, who are on TV loving Donald Trump and begging for money for their own private Falcon Five jet. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So you know, basically, if you if you're looking for to have the government perform engineering feats of trying to prevent you know certain social things, um, I'm I'm kind of done with that. I'm kind of done with that. I, I, I really, you know, as I refined down what my party was supposed to mean in, in the, cor- the course of writing my book, you know, this idea of limited government and fiscal responsibility and, 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 and adherence to the law and the rule of law and the Constitution, you know, all those things, those are still going to be like the baseline for me. I can't give those things up. But a lot of the policy stuff that Republicans claim that they absolutely believed in for the last 50 years has turned out to be bullshit. We just passed a tax bill that blows a $1.6 trillion hole in the budget. We've sworn for decades we're going to fix Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. This new tax bill makes their situation dramatically worse. I was going to say this. One of the things we should be paying attention to this week is the Medicare trust fund. It looks like it's going to run out in three years. Yep. Yep. And and. And you know, as long as as long as Paul Ryan, as long as I've known Paul Ryan, you know, this is the white whale for Paul Ryan. This is his this is his thing. He wants to fix entitlements. He wants to fix Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security in this country because he recognizes, or recognized, or claimed to, that the fiscal overhang of those three programs had to be addressed in some meaningful way, and and. And it had to be, we had to reach a point where we all stood up as responsible adults and did something. Well, guess what? We're never going to do that now. Yeah. Well, I mean, what's and worse, what he turned it, he turned what seemed like at one point an honest debate about fixing into a weirdly, you know, quixotic, well, not quixotic, I guess, because it's been successful, but determination to just end. Like, I don't, I think it stopped becoming fixing those things for him and started becoming starving those things. Um. I don't completely disagree with that, but I do know that he recognizes the political impossibility of it. You know, if if the poison is administered subtly, maybe, but if it's, uh, there's never going to be an overt attempt to kill those programs now because, um, you know, they recognize they're politically 
Except, like I said, this Medicare trust fund thing, this it's crisis is happening because of the different things the Trump administration is doing, which I don't think Paul Ryan is unhappy about. But but people are it's, they're ending it in this way that is they're administering the poison slowly and against the patient's knowledge. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you yes. know, like, I mean, I would accept an argument, a principled argument that we should have a more limited, I, you know, I hear the the argument, the principle argument that the welfare state should be limited. I don't agree. I I very much don't agree, but I hear that argument. This is just, I'm going to end it without having a mandate from the people to end it. And I'm going to just right. cut off all, I'm going to starve the fucking thing. And yeah. I, we, I think that's definitely sort of become the, the, the modality that, that we're looking at here is, is that there's not going to be a, you know, there's not going to be a soft landing for to these things. And, and, and they, by, in part because of the way they did the tax bill, they've ensured those things can never be addressed. You know, now it's going to be, well, we can't do that. We have a $1.6 trillion hole in the budget. Where, where's the money coming from? You know, and and look, I've I've also reached one more thing about, and I think this is this is a productive conversation, but and this is sort of an overarching thing. As conservatives, we always you know have believed that individuals should come before the power of government, and and something that spun out of that was that if it has to do with corporations or businesses, which are run by individuals, not to get the Mitt Romney debate, but but that. If it's business, it must be good. If it's if it's something that helps the corporate sector, it must be good. And I, I'm I'm kind of over that because I've been witness now for too long to the corporate sector using the power of lobbying and the power of campaign donations to essentially say, do my bidding, no matter how reckless and dangerous and terrible and and how 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 much they're using. The regulatory playing field to ensure their profits. Mm-hmm. That, that to me is a fundamentally, you know, a profound betrayal of free market ideology. So I'm sort of, I'm sort of, if you want an area I'm willing to also to, to take a really hard look at, it's anything in that crony capitalist space that my party has become extremely comfortable in delivering on. Would it is my understanding that you're you've now seen through the bullshit on it, then you've seen that your party does not actually stand for free markets. They actually stand for crony capitalism. And are you now willing to try and put the kinds of binds on the free market that allow it to be more just, like from my position, that allow it to be more just, but at least we're at least we're talking about the same kinds of things? Rather Here's than like difficult. hiding it, yeah. like I feel like what happens, like what what happens now with Republicans and, and so called conservatives, is that they preach free market and behind the scenes they they rig the game, right? Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. is one of the re- that is one of the ways we got Trump because, quite frankly, you know, white working class people thought that they were participating in a free market, but really they were getting screwed. You yeah, two thousand eight. Two thousand eight is in a lot of ways why we got Trump. Right. Um, whereas, everybody else had their home values detonated, their 401ks right. zeroed out, basically. And what did they see? They saw that Wall Street, under both George Bush yeah. and Barack Obama, yep. was taken care of. And there was no ideological difference between Bush trying to save Wall Street and Obama trying to save Wall Street. There, there was no, you couldn't tell the difference between the pronouncements coming out of their Treasury departments. There was no difference. And, there was literally no difference. I mean, that's <laughs> there were some of the same people. <laughs> right. and, and and I still have a sense that that the idea that we can magically have a government solution that fixes like a corporation that's doing shitty things um, is is still it still rankles with me a little bit because I know one thing about government: it's so bad at everything it does. I mean, we're really bad at almost everything we do. Even the stuff that we think we're good at, like dropping bombs on bad guys, we still suck at all that stuff. Government has a, you know, and corporations in this day and age are so much faster. And you know why we can never regulate Facebook effectively? Because they will iterate out 27,000 different new products by the time the federal regulatory commission or the federal regulatory structures catch up with them. Well, see, like my argument would be that you're right, like businesses move faster, but not necessarily better. 
I mean, like yeah. they just move. Oh, the yeah, tr- yeah. <laughs> and so we're, we are imperfect humans. We are fallen. You and I agree on that. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, and so like my argument about this and how I hope I would hope to have these discussions in the post Trump age when hopefully we're all kind of arguing about policy and not about corruption um, is that rather than preach free market and then rig the game behind the scenes, like let's rig the game in front of the scenes, if that makes sense. Like let's just yeah. agree that the free market cannot, there's no such thing as a true free market. So let's just at least agree on what the parameters are. And my side will probably be like, we want all the parameters. <laughs> we want yeah, I mean, all look, the restrictions. That, and then your I side will be like, idea. well, maybe these restrictions. And then, yeah, I think the idea on, on the left in a lot of ways is, is we can have a, a sweeping technocratic solution. If we get enough smart guys in a room writing enough regulations, we'll fix everything. Yes. <laughs> and I'm very skeptical about that. And as you, uh, as you should be, by the way, but that is like the instinct of most progressives. True. I will, I will come I to know. that. Um, but, but, but I, I don't know. And I don't know what it, how it looks yet, but this is one of the things where you, where you build up a, an immune system or a structure or a, or a stricture on the front end of all these kind of decisions you know, let's just say on, on regulatory questions that that has some some guide rails, you know, that has some tests, some go no go tests that these these companies uh, you know have to meet, and those things would actually protect the free market in ways that right now it's vulnerable. I mean, why is the cost of entry into into a space like Facebook or Google, you know, search or social so high? In part because these companies you know, have, have rigged the playing field. They've got, they've got, you know, a tremendous amount of market power. They've got armies of lobbyists. They've got armies of legislative affairs people. They're, they're playing the ball game faster and harder than, than, than government ever can. And making a lot of mistakes. I mean, like that's where the example of like, I mean, no human entity can be, can give us a, a perfect society. Right. So no, I mean, again, like, so I kind of, what my hope is, is that we just have these arguments in front of everybody and on and have them as debates in front of constituents and constituents can say, like, I want the market rigged this way. (laughs) You know, I would prefer it to be rigged the way Anna wants to rig it. No, I want it to be rigged the way, you know, Rick wants to rig it. I mean, like. I I just, I think think the failing, everybody has to own it on their side of the ideological fence. On my side. The failing is is very straightforward, and the failing is we talk Main Street all the time. We build this 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 idea that we're for the little guy, and we're not for the big evil government coming to screw you. And with, if not for us, then you're doomed. Well, on the other side of this equation, you know it, it, that's a giant lie. It's a giant lie. I mean, right now under under the new tax bill. You know, we are doing things that are going to help things like real estate investment trusts mm-hmm. become the dominant, you know, force in the real in the, in the realty market, and those things are going to own every home. The, the dream of American home ownership is going to go away. The you know, a lot of these things that we're setting the, the conditions for are you know, I, I I honestly think are are anathema to a stable, prosperous society. These days, you can get practically everything on demand like this podcast. You can listen to it whenever you want, when it's convenient for you. So why are you still taking trips to the post office to mail letters and packages when you can get postage on demand with stamps.com? Stamps.com gives you all the amazing services of the post office, which is my favorite government service. I swear to God it is right from your desk 24 seven when it's convenient for you. Buy and print official US postage for any letter, any package using your own computer and printer. Just click print mail. You're done. The mail carrier picks it up. No special arrangements like I have to do with some other things. I use stamps.com for my business, which I have. I am a business now. Um, I am a LLC. I've talked about it before. Um, And I have uh, stuff that I mail. I have gifts that I send. I have merch that I send. I have merch that I receive, although I don't have to pay for that. Uh, So stamps.com is great, especially if you're a small business, if you're just one person, if you have a side hustle, I would recommend stamps.com. And if you want, you can try it out. Use friends for the special offer. It includes up to $55 of free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. And before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone at the top of the homepage and type in friends. That's stamps.com. Enter friends. This is actually where we can kind of 
return to talking about Trump a little bit because that is the the great fear, right? Mm-hmm. Is that things become unstable enough in our society? Like it's hard to believe right now, but I think most people can get their minds around this if 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 they want to, which is that we are blessed to have a basically stable country while Trump is president, you know, like our economy's going okay. Right. Like the rule of law is applied sort of broadly, broadly ish. ish. Like there are certain pockets of it that I've had to do with race where it's not, Mm -hmm. but we have a, we have a functioning country, you know, if for whatever reason, it were to not function as well. And Trump was president. Very bad outcomes are possible. Yes. Yes. Um, and I think, I think, I, I, I don't want to put, you know, too hysterical a point on it, but this is a man who is, who is not prone to looking at things through the great American lens of leadership, jurisprudence, Tolerance, respect, etc. Um, he, he is a man very much inclined to view things in his sort of professional wrestling, you know, me, me, me attitude, and and willing to say things. You know, we joked a lot about it in 2016 when he did the rally, saying "knock that guy out," you know, "kick his ass," all that stuff. We joked about that, mm-hmm. but you know, the world's full of dumbasses. And a lot of those dumbasses are going to hear Donald Trump say, my enemies hate me. You should take them out at some point. And, and we're going to have – we better hope the rule of law sticks at that point because um, – and, and, I, and I hear this a lot. And I kind of – I don't know about you, but have you detected this? There's sort of a rising little, little radar blip out there of, you know, if you, if you guys do impeach Trump, you know, it's blood in the streets. And, you know, I think – I think that that threat is uh, symptomatic of sort of what's happening in the Trump base, where they feel like the rules don't apply anymore um, and that they can do and say what they want. I mean, that's and what they're being shown. defies the law, therefore they can defy the law. Yeah, yeah. That is why norms matter, right? Correct. Um, and that is why, like, I so I mean, I talk about this sometimes. Uh, my husband's relatively new at politics, right? Like, he he mm-hmm, he basically mm-hmm. did not pay attention for forty years, um, and so every once in a while, something will happen, and he'll like like uh, for instance, um, Trump will uh, decide to pardon someone he's never met, and doesn't know, and like just for, because he got thinks he got screwed. Literally, he uses the word screwed, right? Dinesh D'Souza. And my husband would be like, is that bad? Is that like illegal? And I'm like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's not illegal because no one ever thought it would happen. Right? Right. Like, <laughs> just no one thought to make a law against it. So, yeah. I mean, like, that's actually what makes it bad. You know, and not that you should be illegal to pardon Dinesh D'Souza, but you I hope people listening understand, like, it just goes against all the norms. You're supposed to go through right. a process and, and, of this. And he's about to pardon, according to the reports today, he's about to pardon Blagojevich. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, we have a higher level of scrutiny for federal crimes that involve public corruption. And, yeah, you know what? Can he? Yes. In a sane presidential environment, would he? Of course not. Yeah. You can't name a single president, left or right, who would have who would have, who, who would pardon a Rod Blagojevich. Yeah, you just can't. It's it's, it's impossible to imagine. <laughs> and that's what, like, what, I mean, people who have come of age, political age, let's say, like in this environment. I mean, it's hard to m- make them understand, you know, because the it is the rules just don't apply. Like, I was thinking about this last week when. Um, Trump, this is the most minor thing that happened at that Nashville rally, which is he said Bernie Sanders got screwed and he used the word screwed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God, I had this like flash of like, what if Obama had said that? Like, just sure. used the word screwed. <laughs> right. 
They like, would have called him a thug using street language. <laughs> uh, mm, I think they might have. Yes. Um, and I it, it just would have been a whole thing. And we would have had a debate about it. And like my side would say its thing and your side would say its thing. And now that like I don't know, not a single person wrote anything about that or noticed it. It was not even a topic of conversation and not that it should have been. But it's just right. so crazy where we are, where we are. And this actually brings me, before I let you go, I have to ask, and I think I do remember to ask this every time we talk, because you are the person who is still talking to conservatives, still talking to Republicans on the Hill. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me, conservative whisperer, what are they thinking these days? Um, They're thinking they've put on a very brave face for the last couple of months. Um, There is a level of freak out that the tax bill didn't work its mojo. They thought it was going to drive conservatives out and make people love them and everything else, um, and it just didn't. Um, they're, they're, the thing they're f- most fearful of in their internal numbers is even Republicans don't like Republicans. Yeah. Even even members, even even members of the Republican Party, they love Donald Trump, but they're lukewarm at best about um, their own members of Congress, and. And they're hostile about any other members of Congress or any other Republican figures. It's remarkable. And correct me if I'm wrong. That's because it's become the Trumpicans, not the Republicans, because the Republicans have left. The the, the actual Um, conservatives have left. They don't they're not ideal. There's a there's a sense that um, that the strong economy is going to help them. um, But there's also a a growing sense that, you know, maybe that basically gets you to even. Mm. Maybe that basically gets you to neutral because of the negatives from Donald Trump and the and the increased Democratic turnout. Maybe the strong economy puts you basically on a level playing field. I think there's some wish casting going on there, um, but you know that's sort of where they're at right now. Um, most of them are are very nervous that Donald Trump will will continue to do crazy shit. Um, you know, and, and look, the number of people in the Senate or in the House majority rather who are Strong, legitimate, red hat fanatics who really believe this shit. It's about thirty-five members, maybe maybe fifty at the, on, a, on a really good day. Um, the rest of them are either opportunists, including some that look like they're Trump supporters, like crazy Trump people. I mean, look, a guy like Matt Gates, um, who's out there beating the drum for Donald Trump every day. It's about Matt Gates. It's not about Donald Trump. Mm. You know, Jim Jordan. It's about Jim Jordan, not about Donald Trump. There's a great dissension in the House because Paul's quitting. Um, and, you know, the Senate's a little more sanguine because the map is just good for Republicans this year. The, the map is 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 a benefit to Republicans. You know, with only eight seats up and with a billionaire candidate in Florida who you know has proven himself as a as a two term governor that he'll spend whatever it takes to win. And you end you end up in a Senate situation where they're a lot more calm. They're a lot more sanguine. Right. Um, but you know. Mitch can't afford to lose any seats. You know, we're fifty-one. We're, we're a one-seat majority right now. So, you know, if he if 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 the overall climate in Nevada, Arizona, and Florida uh, takes a turn, you know that that puts you know, the potential for a pickup out and the potential for a loss up. So, you know, those cases, the, the Senate case is a little more optimistic than the House case, but the House case uh, behind closed doors is still very uh, very grim. And and there's some interesting static going on between the consulting class and the and the NRCC's leadership, where the NRCC's leadership is saying, "Hey guys, you might want to stop running those MS13 ads because they don't work." Mm-hmm. Um, and and I focus grouped them in Virginia this last year, and I I, I you know I could have told you as a guy who's made a couple of negative ads in my day, <laughs> it, it was exactly what I thought would happen. It worked for the hardest, hard, hard right Republicans who were already going to vote for you 100%. Mm-hmm. They were already coming out to vote for you. But it pissed off everybody else. It blew out the suburban Republican women. It blew out people with a college degree. It blew out people who are moderates. It blew out people who are independents. And moderates and independents are two separate animals, yes. of course. And people conflate them a lot, but they're not. I know. I'm, um, I'm, yes. That's a, thank you for disti- making the distinction. And yes, they are, of course, different. Um, but um, it look, turns them both off. Yeah, but, but it, those MS-13 ads are killing people. I mean, they're, they're, they're death in the general. Well, 
I, you you yeah. use that metaphor, you use that that language. So I'm just going to say this in regard to what you were talking about earlier, which is that mm-hmm. if our society falls apart, that is why actually Trump's language about MS-13 being animals matters. Yes. Is that it, I under, I'm not one of the people that thought he called all immigrants animals. I, I see that he was referring very generally to MS-13. It's still bad. Um, yeah. Not because I'm an MS-13 defender. <laughs> right. And I do, I, uh, although my faith does tell me, you know, we're all animals, really. Like, we're all, you know. Well, and, and this is, again, this is a norms question. Yes, exactly. Any other president, left or right, Republican or Democrat, would look at these MS-13 people and say, many of them are violent, vicious criminals. They are unlike the majority of the Hispanic community in this country, the vast majority. Yes. You know, this is George Bush going to the mosque a few days after 9-11 to say, Muslims may have done this, but not all Muslims, all, not all Muslims did this. Right. You know, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very, I think it's a very bright line that, that Trump has crossed. And I think it's one that's incredibly dangerous. Again, as you said, if, 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 things, get, if things get frisky and, and the edges start to fray around society a little bit, you know, permission slips from the president are a powerful thing for bad people. Yeah. And I, I will put out there, I don't know what you do on a daily basis or in your life to hang on to hope and humanity in all this. Because mm-hmm. um, that is just a sour note to end on. So I'm just going <laughs> to <laughs> put out, um, I will remind people that the way to combat that kind of hatred and that fraying is to be a part of the community that you live in. Yep. Uh, go to Little League games, um, participate in neighborhood parades, uh, walk. Go to church if you're a person of faith. Go to church if you're a person of faith. Relationships. Yep. Shop at your neighbor's garage sale. Um, Just talk to people. Talk to people. That's something we don't do anymore is, you know, Facebook's made it easy to stay in our silos. Yep. And, and, you know, I've always jokingly said I've conducted for the last 30 years a focus group of Americans. Because I talk to people all the time, randomly. Sometimes it's weird for them, but I, I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just think we're in a situation where no one wants, um, you know, it, it, no one wants to be alone in this world, and no one wants to be isolated. But if we let political framing be the thing that isolates us from everybody else, it's the worst way to be isolated, I think. Yeah. So, broaden so, your net, folks. Broaden your net. And if you really want to reap the rewards of this... Uh, be of service. Uh, Absolutely. Be of service in a way that's, um, I would suggest, not particularly political, uh, so that you're being of service to people whose politics you don't know what their politics are. Uh, and that is powerful for both you and that other person. And I cannot recommend it highly enough. It is the way that I stay sane. So, right. Um, right. Thank you uh, for your time. You are welcome as always. Rick. I appreciate it very, very much. And I, I, Likewise. I have the galley of your book. I will be looking at it and we will talk more about it next time you're on. Would you buy a t-shirt for $50 when you knew it only cost $7 to make? I do not think that you would. I would not. And Everlane means you don't have to. Everlane only makes premium essentials for men and women using the finest materials without traditional markups, and they tell you their real cost so you know you're never overpaying. Everlane wants you to know what you're paying for and why you're paying for it. They are radically transparent about every step in their process from the materials they use to the ethical factories they work with. I had this happen not too long ago. A reader said on Twitter, I thought you were transparent. I can't find uh, your factories. And Everlane replied on Twitter uh, with, here is where you find it. And they gave the URL and they gave all the information. It was right there. They really do want you to see where your stuff comes from. And they know where it comes from. And because they're selling directly to you, their prices are 30 to 50% lower than traditional retailers. They look better. They cost less. They last longer. They're ultimately better for everyone involved. Essentials like the Cotton Crew are exactly what they should be. They're simple, stylish, and made from quality materials. Check out that and the Cashmere Crew, uh, which weirdly I can still use here in Minneapolis. <laughs> the 100% human box cut tee, the silk short sleeve square shirt, which is one of my favorite shirts. I absolutely love it. The high rise skinny jean, which is also awesome. 
and the mid-rise jean and more. Everlane's timeless essentials are just what you're looking for. No frills, just quality. And right now you can check out my personalized collection at everlane.com slash friends. Plus you get free shipping on your first order. That's everlane.com slash friends, everlane.com slash friends. And that is almost it for the show. Not quite it. I want to add actually before the show gets going too much further that um, here's a trigger warning because I'm going to talk about suicide and that's heavy. (laughs) And if that's not something you're up for today, then God bless you. And uh, I'll see you next week. I promise come right back to the show and enjoy your weekend or wherever it is you are in the flow of time. If you're up for it, well, it'll be here. I was going to spend a little time in this episode talking about last week's episode, which got a fair amount of feedback. People had some feelings about just how strongly Kamau Bell and I uh, basically dismissed uh, Starbucks' attempts to do some implicit bias training. I heard every criticism that people made. Uh, We were probably a little too cavalier. I should have spent more time talking about the research that's shown um, how basically useless implicit bias training is. And I also probably should have given some amount of credit to the fact that they're doing something. But when I was putting together my thoughts about how I wanted to address the criticisms that were made, I heard about Kate Spade's death. And I'm going to be honest, because that's what this show is about. I'm very grateful that I heard about it, because as I was trying to process the criticisms that I heard from you all, which I take very seriously, maybe too seriously, you know, I started to get in this sort of downward spiral about all the mistakes that I've made with this show and everything that I want to do better and how the show could be so much better if I was better and I did more and I worked harder. I was in the middle of that loop when I saw the news about Kate Spade. And I remembered very clearly the first Kate Spade bag I bought. It was 1999. I bought it at her shop on Thompson in Soho. I was an editorial assistant. I could not actually afford the purse, but I bought it anyway because it was perfect. It was about the size and shape of a lunchbox. It was stiff leather, clean and crisp. And it had two sides. It was divided with a a zipper divider in the middle. And I remember telling the salesperson this was perfect, you know, because I could keep my work stuff on one side and my personal stuff on the other side. All these plans for this purse. It was part of a dream. It was a it was it was a dream purse because I wasn't thinking about my real life. I was thinking about this other alternate reality where I was the kind of person who had a case paid purse and I was the kind of person whose life could be divided neatly into work and personal. I had this idea that this purse would square away my life in the same way it squared away my things, that its clean lines would make my life feel more linear, that my messy insides, which are always kind of in danger of overspilling my boundaries, they would be contained by this aesthetic that she had, this aesthetic that was just completely coordinated She had yet to go into clothing and housewares and stationery. But between this personal story she had where she was married to Jack Spade and and they had this life that looked straight out of a magazine and she was a former editorial assistant like I was and her store had this amazing lush precision. She embodied like all the things I thought I wanted. She had effortless style. She was a human Instagram feed 20 years before we all knew what filters were, before we started applying curating to something besides 
museum exhibits. I, I got older, as one does. And eventually I stopped buying Kate Spade purses because I'm actually just not a Kate Spade person. It's not, not really my style. But I swear to you, like right up until last week, I could still find myself kind of lingering over her stuff whenever I saw it. No matter what department of a store it was in, I would kind of think about, oh, those sheets that would match the dress, that would match the purse, that would match the sunglasses, that would somehow match me. Like her stuff still held for me the promise of a lifestyle perfection, complete coherence, everything going with everything. Capitalism kind of depends on that kind of magical thinking, actually. And it's no wonder that Kate Spade was so successful. She had this seamless presentation of this utterly coordinated existence. And of course, that made her hundreds of millions of dollars because the system works on our desire for perfection and human beings' inability to achieve it. The system wouldn't work without Kate Spade radiating frictionless grace and the impossibility of any normal person actually achieving that frictionless grace. Our individual perpetual failure is actually what fueled her success, or I should say the success of her brand. It is not supposed to occur to us that there is a real human being at the center of that idealization and that she might see herself as a failure too. I wish, I really do, I wish with all my heart it had not taken her death for me to realize that she and I were actually more alike than different. And that while I may not share her aesthetic on the outside, I know exactly what hopelessness looks like on the inside. I have been where she was. I am just a lot luckier. My suicide attempt failed, and I found help. And I discovered someone underneath the accessories and costumes I have tried on my whole life. And I try to take care of that person that I discovered. Today, my mental health depends on seeing through my own attempts to convince myself I'm not enough. I have trouble believing it sometimes. And that's why I, I actually take a lot of joy and I do repeatedly remind you all that you are enough. I believe it about you. I believe with all my heart that you are enough and that you are loved. And I believe that about you with so much faith, it actually makes it easier to believe it about myself. And so I want to make you a deal to make this easier all around. I will believe it about me if you believe it about you. But know that if you are struggling, you do not have to do this work by yourself. If you are thinking about suicide, you are not alone and there is help. Please, please take time to talk to someone in your life or get in touch with the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or the Crisis Text Line, 741-741. I promise you, I swear, on the 2,000 or so tomorrows that I have seen since I woke up in that ER, it gets better. I got better. And you can get better. And I will most definitely See you next week. Take care of yourselves. 
Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Capella University is rethinking higher education. With their game-changing FlexPath format, you can earn your degree on your schedule so you can fit education seamlessly into your life. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.